Hello, and welcome to Recent Activity, your new favorite entertainment review podcast that attempts to cover every film, every show, all at once. I am your co-host, Andrew Morgan. With me, as always, is a man whose New Year's resolution is getting adopted by the Von Erichs, Mr. Shane Beauregard. How are you, sir? <laughs> Happy New Year. I don't know if I want in that family, but happy new to year two. And yes, we are covering everything this week. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because I don't know if you, when you looked at the huge amount of movies, which by the way, people were covering 18 movies. We did a giant dump uh, during the Christmas quarter. We also added uh, a week off because uh, Shane's voice was uh, gone uh, for lack of a better term. <laughs> He tried to fight through, buddy, but I wouldn't let you. That's on me. I know. Um, but did you notice there's like fun parallels? I almost wanted to do a Battle Royale episode where it was like the Iron Claw versus Aquaman because there also is a guy who keeps losing a claw. So it's like the Iron Claw versus <laughs> the guy who loses a claw. And then it's like uh, Rye Lane versus anyone but you as the rom-com battle. And then uh, I probably have multiple other ones in here, but I was just like, yeah, let's let's fucking let's fucking do it. <laughs> but good. I, I'm, did you have a good New Year? Did you have a good holiday? All that? Uh, yeah. Besides being sick for three weeks. But no, it was good. The kids had a good time. And uh, as you saw, we, we got to watch a lot of movies uh, so much. So I just ran out of stuff to watch. Yeah. To so. give the people the report, uh, Shane and I have this arbitrary number. I think, did you adopt my arbitrary number or did you have that also as like a goal I had thing? That also in my in my head. Okay. Uh, of a realistic number I thought I can get to. Right. And it's so weird because, again, I tried to explain the number I was hitting to somebody else. The number is 130 for movies of 2023. Is I try to hit... It's not shows. It doesn't include right, doesn't shows. It doesn't include shows. doesn't include movies that came out in 2022. It's all 2023 releases. And someone was like, why 130? And I was like... Um, really all I got is that I think it was either 2019 or 2020, somewhere around there. That was like the high number, like the highest I've hit in a long time. Cause I was like doing the podcasting full time and I was doing other stuff and I was like, that's a number that seems obtainable and whatever. And I was like, I want to keep hitting that number every year. So that's how I landed at 130. So I don't know where your brain landed on that, whether you got close to that one year or hit that one year and kept it going too. Yeah, no, I got close to it last year, and this year my goal is 150, you okay. know, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my original goal, but as the movie year kind of like slogged on when we hit that slow patch, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to get to 150, yeah. I need to readjust my goal, yeah. so I thought 130 was, was within reach, and we both got there like the very last couple yeah. days before it fl we flipped into 2024, so we both made it, buddy. Yeah, I, I'm proud of both of us. It's been a it's been an interesting, hard, struggling kind of weird weird year for us. Um, also, with the strikes moving stuff out, I think that also hurt the number right. getting there early. And also, uh, as far as like Oscar stuff that's going to come out, there's a bunch of movies that haven't been either here in Connecticut yet or um, have yet to been released wide in general. So there's a bunch of movies that are, quote, going to be 2023 movies that I still have, still am going to watch in 2024. So that number is going to just keep going up. So whatever it works out, it works out. But we are at a good number right now. And what are we looking at? Probably 
Next two weeks are going to be our top fives of the year with probably a yes, bunch of honorable mentions. I'm looking mentions forward to that, too. Because we cheat. We always yep. cheat. I cheat <laughs> more than you, I will be honest. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but, you know, we need to see all the movies to get there. So I think we did a good job of getting to that. So let's get to those movies. Uh, this, we're playing the game of the we have three categories, the good, the bad, and the meh of the December review dash that we went through this last period. So let's get to the good first. So I want to start up on the good note. You were like, let's end on a good note. I think it's good either way, but I, I, I wanted to take the excitement of what we watched, all this stuff. And the good news, folks, is that most of these movies are in the goods, in the good section. So yep. buckle up. There's a lot. And take notes if you haven't seen these movies and then put them on your watch list or go out to the theaters. Because that's the thing, Shane. We did a lot of legwork because we were in the movie theaters for most of these. Yes. So if you're looking at the box office, we attributed to all of it. So congratulations to everybody (laughs) except Wonka. Fuck off. I don't care. I just don't care. I abstained. You know, if it hits across someday, I already told my, you know, I didn't really have to tell my kids, but I wanted to kind of be like, nope. It's off the table. Off the table until you see the real Willy Wonka first. Nope. I don't give a shit. Um, So anyway, now that I put my terrible parenting out front, let's start out with some other terrible parenting right up front with the Iron Claw. (laughs) Oh, boy. Directed by Sean Durkin, starring Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Holt McElhaney, who I think might be a Shane All-Star. I think you love Holt McElhaney. Maura Tierney and Harris Dickinson. This is, of course, the true story or based on the true story as much as they could without making us all insufferably sad um, of the inseparable Von Erich brothers who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s through tragedy and triumph under the shadow of their domineering father and coach. The brothers seek larger than life immortality on the biggest stage in sports. Shane, this was one that both you and I really kind of circled as like, this has potential to be one of our favorites of the year because we just love the story. We're old school wrestling fans, et cetera, et cetera. Let's start with you, man. What did you, what were your feelings on the Iron Claw after you caught this one? It's a tough sit at times. It, it It's a tough sit um, because it's not the most uplifting movie at all. Uh, if you just read the synopsis, it's just not. It's just a um, an American tragedy that happens within this family. Absolutely. And I, I'll just get this off my chest right away before I get into like my real thoughts. One of my pet peeves when I get like when people talk to me about certain movies, like, "Oh, you're gonna go see the Iron Claw? What's that about? Wrestling? Oh, I don't want to see that." Open your minds, yeah. people, because yes, wrestling is a subtext of that movie. It's like a sub, you know, subject of the movie, but it's more about family. Absolutely. And uh, mental health, especially in this case, because you had three of the brothers who committed suicide, and that's not spoiling anything. That's just go to Wikipedia; it's there. Oh, and there's more. If you know anything about the Von Erich family? Yeah, they cut out yeah. a suicide in that family. They, they, they did, they did. But I thought the acting was excellent, even though Zac Efron's uh, human growth hormone jaw kind of took me out of it a little bit. Uh, the haircut's worse, um, <laughs> the but haircut's at least it's worse. like '80s apropos, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, but uh, the acting was great. I wish we would have saw a little more Jeremy Allen White uh, playing Carrie Von Erich, who yeah. uh, growing up, that's the one I saw most of uh, wrestling when I was growing yeah, up. For sure, same. But uh, this family, again, there was, there was, yeah, there was wrestling in here, but man, just the, the way the father and mother were just angered me throughout this whole movie, man. Like Holt, 
Mick, Mick, uh, what's his McEnany? What's his name again? Yeah, McElhaney. I, I do like him. I am a fan of his. But man, I can't imagine being a dad like that. Like he openly tells his kids how he has them ranked, and like you can move up or down. Yeah. And obviously, he ranked his kids in order of success. What I gathered. And the wife, Mary Tierney, was just a housebroken, housebeat wife who just didn't rock the boat at all. Yeah. It was like, if you have a problem, go talk to your brother. Like, they didn't did no parenting that, at that all. That was the hardest part. They did no parenting or not a lot of parenting. And when they did parent, they basically shit the bed. They basically made these people feel like trash and, and made them these ultra-competitive you know, uh, for the love of their parents on top of obviously the fame and the glory and everything else. So it, it's, it's a tough thing to deal with. And obviously it, as it unravels, God, there's one scene in particular. And again, not to spoil anything. There's like a confrontation between one of the sons and the father towards the end that it's like, that's mm. the movie right there. That's the big scene. Cause yeah. th- that's the movie. That is your end result or whatever. It's right towards the end of the right. movie. So it's it's tough. It's tough to deal with. It's a tough watch, but I think it's worth it. It's uh, Does it fall on my top five? No, but if it does fall on my top ten of, of the year. I, that's how much I really liked it, and I do want to see it again. Yeah. So, um, But again, people, go see it. It's not the most uplifting movie. It does, especially at the end when he has uh, – when Kevin Donald Garrick has his uh, – is his son? Mm. He's like, I used to have, I used to have brothers. Man, that whole scene just broke yeah. me up. I ain't gonna sure. lie, that that broke me up. Uh, but you know, on a side note, Harris Dickinson, who played David on Eric, did you recognize him? Um, he, I know him from Triangle of Sadness. He's also he was also in something else that I'm aware of. What is it? Your the show that you just talked about. You don't really like the the murder at the end of the world. He's the guy who died oh, in the first God, episode. He is. Yeah. Oh my God, he is. You're right. Good call. Yep. Yeah, and I like so, him in that, even though we can, we'll get to the show at some other point, but yeah. the show kind of faded but, out. But, like, yeah, I like him a lot in it. I give this movie a thumbs up. Uh, it's it's a watch for me. Again, I just wish we would have saw a little more Jeremy Allen White because he really doesn't enter the movie till about 35 minutes into it. Yeah, they basically made up a lie that's not really part of the true story of that he was in college fighting for the Olympic team. Um, you know, right. and that, that never happened because um, it was during the the cold war era oh. right or whatever because <laughs> yeah I, I will say the only down part of this movie was the guy that who played rick flair in this movie was absolutely terrible he's getting raked <laughs> the rick, raked online oh, it's it, it's it's terrible i laughed so hard yeah. at the way he portrayed rick flair it was hysterical and movie, i man. but i anyway. know flair's hair is a tough thing to pull off to as far as like hair and makeup department they <laughs> it looks odd and i get it, it, it it's a tough tough uh look to pull off but jesus yeah you're right uh, any of my um any of my friends have basically two complaints if you're like hardcore hardcore know the story and all that a rick flair and the performance of that b that carrie von eric was a hulking big dude and jeremy allen white is like Huge. five seven or something like that so you know even though he did well to like be in condition and and pulls off a role and can perform and i didn't really have it didn't take me out of the movie or anything no but, it didn't take me out of the movie but either. harris dickinson looks much taller at least than all of them uh even the younger brother looked taller than uh you know efron and jeremy allen white and that's i don't think that's how that's supposed to go but you know whatever it's fine but i'm yeah. with you 
obviously uh, we are in the good section so i i do like this movie i am in that kind of you know top 10 12 of the year as well uh, the only thing holding me back from putting my arms fully around it is just it's uh, it's too much and i knew that yeah. going in that it's a big story but i wanted to see how they did it because after a while it just becomes you know well, here comes the next domino, the next domino, the next domino. Right. And I think it does save itself a little at the end, but I think the highlights are, you know, just seeing like the brothers kind of slowly but surely kind of, you know, rally around how bad this is and seeing where it goes. But the heights are really when they're most happy, quite frankly. Um, exactly. But you need that to get to the fall. So um, it, good performances. Uh, I liked it. Uh, but yeah, it's. It's a lot where, like, if somebody said this isn't going to be in Best Picture or whatever these things, I'd be like, yeah, I understand. Uh, because there, yeah, it's too. a very tough year to also break in. Uh, we'll get to all this stuff and obviously more in our top fives of the year. But, yeah, uh, it's it's very good. It's very, very much worth seeing. I understand the wrestling fan complaints, but, you know, it's not enough to, like, take you out or take you completely off the right. Movie. Next movie I have up here is... Uh, a movie that I already covered on this show, but I wanted you to get it in because I know it's so high on your list. Um, the Holdovers. Uh, you caught this on the cock, as uh, the, the kids are putting it. <laughs> love, love the love cock. to stream the cock. So obviously, this is the new film from Alexander Payne, starring Paul Giamatti and Divide Joined Randolph and newcomer Dominic Sessa. This is about a cranky history teacher at a remote prep school who is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go. Uh, sneaky, great movie to watch during the holiday season, of course, because this is during the Christmas break. Um, and it's a movie that I said to you was a movie that I liked. I had some issues, or at least with how maybe it kind of made me feel at times in the movie, um, but... Overall, very well done. One of the best films of the year. It's probably still in my, again, top 10 or 12, and a movie that is probably going to be up in the best picture race. And as far as those type of movies are concerned, it's probably in my top you know, three or four. So you said this you enjoyed a lot as well. You finally caught it. Yeah, I did. I finally caught it, um, again, because I wanted to see the theater, but whatever, it just wasn't there anymore. And then again, I saw this on the cock, so I was like, all right, I'm going to watch it. So glad I did. I actually gave this two thumbs up when I was like giving my thumbs yeah. up to you and whatever my rankings. I love everything about this movie. I love the feel of this movie. I love the move the way this movie was shot. I love the acting. Of course, Paul Giamatti, who usually plays like a character actor. Once in a while, he gets a time to shine. In this movie, he shined throughout the whole thing as the cranky, no one likes uh, professor at this prep school. I thought the Vine Joy Randolph was fantastic as the cook that stays back. And I loved um, Dominic Sessa as Angus, who uh, is a kid that uh, is a coming of age story. So again, I love the setting around Christmas. Like you said, this is like a sneaky Christmas movie, man. It's just, it slides right in there. Um, I, I just love the the humor that I had in here, but more, more than that, I loved Paul Giamatti in this movie, man. I just loved his character and the interaction between him and Angus and just really, uh, uh, Mary Lamb, uh, Divine Joy's character. Yeah. I love the three of them. Anytime they're on screen together, I just loved it. I soaked it up. Um, I, and I'm a sucker for a coming of age story. And yeah, this may be a little cliche in some areas, but I didn't care, man. I loved this movie. 
And you'll have to find out if this cracks my top five because it might. Yeah. We'll see, man. I look forward to that. Uh, like I said, I enjoyed this film. This is in the good section, and it is one of the best films of the year. So check that out now that it is on Peacock. Um, another film that is hotly in the uh, best picture race as well as other Oscar kind of contention and other awards during this award season here at the end of the year and into the new year here. Uh, Poor Things, the new film from Yorgos Lanthimos, um, starring Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, and many, many others. Uh, This is the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist, Dr. Goodwin Baxter. Um, this movie is batshit, uh, but on a on a good level, uh, it's it's this is a tough one because this is a movie that has incredibly high uh, critical scores as well as audience scores. It is a movie I liked. Obviously, it's in the good section here, but it is one of those movies uh, because it's kind of through the lens of kind of like a philosophy and sociology as told through the eyes of a grown woman with a child's rapidly developing mind, like kind of going through all the stages of life, kind of like rebirth in her life. Um, cause I don't know if you got like in the description, it's kind of there, but basically it's this woman who, uh, a scientist took her floating, essentially dead body and reanimated her, but she was pregnant so he took the infant's brain and put it in the grown woman's head because she was brain dead from the accident that caused her death and reanimated her. So she has to start basically from scratch, but already with a grown woman's body. So huh. it is insane. Um, however, with a with a movie like that, though, it kind of you kind of get what it is. And then it goes on and on. And on, it's like two hours and 20 minutes. It's long Ooh. for a movie that is basically, it didn't have like this engine to it to where like it has like this follow through besides just following her life as it unfolds as she's rapidly developing mentally. Um, so to me, it grew a little tiresome. The first half is definitely the best, but the performances and certain choice selections of dialogue, because I was laughing like a bunch of times in this movie because it is very funny. Um, and there's a lot of like nudity and sex and crazy stuff uh, in this movie that will will make you never forget it. That's for sure. Um, and it's very quotable, very memeable. Um, so those type of things are what will, I'll say to give the thumbs up. But as far as like Damn. where it ranks in the uh, like pantheon, like the the best picture esque films, I think it's lower than a bunch of movies that I think are in that contention. I think this makes okay. my top twenty five of the year, but doesn't really rise into the higher echelons of the year. Which I would thought, like you know, gotcha. I like weird stuff. You know, that's that's my bag. Yorgos well, Lanthimos. You know, The Lobster, all the other his crazy movies. You know, I, I enjoy them. But, you know, this one, it's good. The performances are awesome, especially Ruffalo is fucking nuts. Um, but, yeah, really good movie, but not, like, the best of the year type stuff. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, I, I, this never came around to anywhere where I was because I did want to see it. But what you described... If you're into Yorgos films, you know what you're getting. True. Like you said, The yep. Lobster, which I absolutely loved. I love The Favorite. 
they're just all offbeat yeah. dark comedies and they're just weird and they go to different places and you're like oh that's just yeah. weird but so yeah i kind of like i like his i even like the killing of a sacred deer I liked so those are three of his movies that I really enjoyed. So I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, too. so I think you'll like it on some level because you're used to his mania, his his brand of crazy. But uh I would say the favorite to me is more my favorite, my personal choice of like what right. I think his best of is, and I don't think this rises to there, only because I thought the favorite had a better through line and a better dynamic. So but this one definitely has the chops. The cinematography is great. The production design is great. Like so, all that stuff is awesome. Willem Dafoe, very underrated. Uh, I know Ruffalo has been getting more love and the best supporting than him. But I think it should be dead heat, quite frankly. So, um, good movie. Definitely worth checking out while it's still out in theaters. It's not making any money. So if you want to see it, see it fast uh, because it might not stay there because they'll probably want to get onto streaming to get some buzz before it gets back into the Oscars. Again, uh, another Oscar hopeful uh, that I saw. Uh, shout out to my meetup group, <laughs> a movie that I probably <laughs> wouldn't have seen otherwise. Uh, the Color Purple. Uh, I was really on the fence about this one. This is directed by Blitz Bazawul, starring Fantasia Barino, Taraja B. Henson, Danielle Brooks, and Coleman Domingo. This is, of course, uh, based on two sources, essentially, where it's the Alice Walker book, uh, which, of course, Spielberg made into a film back in the mid-'80s, uh, which also was up for Best Picture back then as well. And then uh, they made it into a musical, and now this is uh, basically a faithful adaptation of that musical to come out now. This is about a woman who faces many hardships in her life but ultim ultimately finds extraordinary strength and hope in the unbreakable bonds of sisterhood. Yeah, this is obviously a very spiritual movie. Obviously, if you're familiar with the story, you're familiar with the story. But if you're not, it can be harsh at times, you know, as far as like it's, you know, uh, you know, a lot of domestic violence. Yeah, it, I, I don't want to get too deep in terms of the hard stuff, but very dramatic. I'd probably say in the first 20 minutes, I didn't know what I was going to do with this movie. I was like, eh, it's it's all right. Like, I'll get through it and whatever. By the end. I was sold and because the musical performances got better, the numbers got better, the performances got better. And I was just thoroughly impressed with all those main characters that I listed those first four, all of them. Excellent. Um, and, and obviously got better as you get more accustomed to the story and get deeper and deeper into it and see where it actually goes. Um, because, it doesn't just get you to the hopeful part and then end. It really kind of takes it to another level and then exits on an even greater level uh, at the end. And I'll tell you, Shane, very rarely do I go to a movie where you get multiple applause breaks from the audience in the crowd watching the movie. Mm, like I was okay. waiting for an actual standing ovation at one point. It was nuts. <laughs> so um, it's doing well. It had actually a, one of the best christmas day openings in some time i think it made like 18 mil in one day um which is good mm -hmm. for modern box office i think it was the best since like 09 or something they said um so this movie should be out for a while it's gonna have some legs uh and i would think that like i said because the the performances are so good um that you'll probably see multiple nominations or at least probably in best supporting it seems to be their best best route with especially someone like daniel brooks even though you know, nobody's really mentioned Taraji B. Henson for it, but she's a showstopper 
in a lot of parts in this movie, and I'm shocked that she's not mentioned. I know she's not the easiest person to deal with, so I hear. So, you know, maybe that kind of knocks her out, but I don't know. That, that's a shame when you have such a good performance. Um, so, yeah, I was shocked at how much I liked this movie, uh, especially liking it more than, say, something like Poor Things. If you put that in front of me, I'd be like, you're out of your mind. But it's the truth. So oh. uh, definitely a recommendation for me there. Um, you weren't able to catch those, obviously. So, But I would say, you know, when they hit streaming or however you want to put that in, I, I definitely recommend them uh, as they are in the good section here. Before we get... I want to kind of clear the deck on maybe the uh, the last of the 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 last of say the Oscar hopefuls, Shane. I want to know uh, you finally caught up with Maestro, which uh, was part of my uh, double review during the Christmas week uh, back last week, I guess, or two weeks ago. At this point, uh, we covered on last episode. I recently put out my top five Netflix movies of the year, where I put this as the number one. Um, I, you know, I'm curious to know what you thought of it and if you would be mad if it was in best picture contention as it seems it might be. Um, will I be mad? I can't say I'd be upset cause I understand right. it, right? This isn't your typical Shane movie at all, but I gave it a watch because it was on Netflix and I like Bradley Cooper and I love Carrie Mulligan and they did not disappoint in their performances. I thought Carrie Mulligan I, I think she was just stole the movie from every scene she was in. I like Bradley Cooper, but I, you know, I don't know much about Leonard Bernstein. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I I know like the Wikipedia front page of same. Of him, we didn't obviously. grow up with that, obviously. Right. I think his like nasally voice got to me as the movie carried on because he sounded so just nasally or stuffed up or sure. something. You know, it, it kind of took me out in parts of of, of Bradley's portrayal of right. him, but. Uh, you know, and I liked uh, um, was it Maya Hawk? Yeah, I thought I thought she stole uh, yeah. certain scenes. Uh, her and Sarah Silverman, was... I thought, were very good as far as the yes. deep bench in this movie. Yeah, I thought the acting was great as far as like the movie goes. I thought, and I told you, I thought it had better performances in the movie, though the movie was solid. So I get it, but I don't know what it lacked. I just thought at times I felt sorry for him throughout his life, and it didn't tear me up like it did. It you said you like try cry twice during the same part of this movie well, i saw it twice and i cry at the same part both times which right d- right can yeah. i can i d- yeah go so ahead. go ahead uh when he's separated from his wife and he's performing in that church and he after he gets done with is a beautiful performance because he actually learned conducting for years to do that performance it's an amazing performance and then he gets off stage and runs up to her and he's like crying on her and it's like this celebratory thing and it's like just the perfect lines and it and it hinges right after that great scene in the restaurant that lunch scene with Carrie Mulligan uh basically saying how she basically misses her child which is how she kind of referred to him right. um and then it kind of goes right into it and it it's it's powerful it's powerful but no it is a powerful scene yeah. and i loved all the musical pieces in here Obviously, that was like the peak of like like you said. It was just probably the best scene, uh, musical scene of the movie when he's conducting that in that yeah. church. I did love it, but man, as I'm going through this, I kind of felt sad for him because he always had to be surrounded by people all the time. Like he never had like a quiet moment in his yeah. life. There was like every room he walked into, it was like ten or twelve people, and like it got me tired just watching the movie. I'm like, good lord, I could not live like that. Yeah, 
But kudos to Bradley Cooper, man. Is this a Star is Born? No. I, I, honestly, that's his other uh, movie he directed. I prefer that one over this sure. one. Would I watch this again? Honestly, probably. Yeah. So I gave it a thumbs up. I, I'm not mad at this movie. It's not usually my cup of tea. But uh, it's a very, very solid watch coming from someone who lives in the gutter as far as movies go. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, this is this is my favorite as far as covering Netflix all year. Uh, if anyone's interested, my top five uh, of 2023 Netflix original movies is on what's on Netflix.com right now. So go check that out if you want to see uh, what the rest of my list entailed. Um, you could probably guess if you're a longtime listener of this podcast where they land, uh, because I, you know, usually talk about them in some regard on here. Um, but yeah, Maestro, uh, one of the one of my favorite films of the year, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's got those moments. My thing is, if you make me like either come close to tears or tear, like you succeeded, um, you know, and is really doing something special. So, and this movie, like I said, really hit me uh, multiple times. And I think it's just a perfect uh, piece of showing a man who was in between worlds all the time and never comfortable in his position, no matter how great he was, no matter how good he had it, no matter who was there by his side. He always had something that where he just couldn't be fully him. And and unfortunately, it all comes too late as, you know, there's a you know cancer diagnosis for for someone at the end and then you know obviously it's historical record but you get what i mean right. um and uh i felt like he kind of ran out of time a little bit and it's uh it's a struggle it's tough uh, and i liked it quite a bit let's get through the other uh thumbs up ones real quick rye lane is a movie that we both caught this was a sundance film from earlier in the year directed by rain allen miller starring david johnson and vivian opara uh, about two youngsters reeling from bad breakups who connect over an eventful day in South London. This is on Hulu right now. It's only like 88 minutes or something. It's a breeze of sure. a movie um, because it's, you know, pretty basic. But, I mean, it is probably one of the better walk and talk romantic comedy sort of things in a long time, probably. Um, I enjoyed this yeah. quite a bit. Um, again, one of those, like, I don't think it lands in my top twenty-five, but it's a it's an excellent year. So there's no shade. Um, but I, I thought this was in a very good movie, um, and it made me want to look for these people going forward. Uh, these two stars, this um, two-hander for a lot of the movie, um, and it's kind of this adventure in trying to get over tough relationships and really kind of put your real face on, uh, especially when you're kind of connecting with another person. So. What do you think of it, Shane? Uh, the same thing, man. I didn't know this movie existed till you mentioned you watched it. So, because it never came up on my Hulu homepage, which is where you, this is where you can watch the film people's Hulu. Right. But no, I watched it. It's a short watch, which is always good for me. But I was drawn to these two characters. They're very charming. You you feel what they're going through, the struggle that they go through, but you also feel the connection with them. It's like real chemistry between these two. And it takes place during one day. Like it just takes place during one day. A format I also love. Again, so yeah. It's a walking, talking movie, like you said. And um, I, I love where they end up in this movie. I also love the shout out to Tribe Called Quest in this Absolutely, movie, yeah. uh, which plays a pivotal scene, which is like my favorite all time rap group. Uh, so, yeah, this is something that I could definitely rewatch several times, you know, given some time between them, because uh, it is a charming, sweet, romantic comedy, man. I loved it. And I love the end of this movie. 
I thought the uh, it was funny too, like the artist with the teeth and then those the sphincters and stuff <laughs> like that. I was laughing my ass uh-huh. off. So yeah, man, it's a good, charming movie. Is all I'll say. It's a good romantic comedy, and it really sends you off. It's a, it's a, like you said, a charming ending. That's a callback to stuff they were doing. I thought that was very well done. You know, even though it's, you know, yeah. it's a little sappy, a little corny, whatever. But I still was, yeah. I was in by that point. So it's. Yeah, me too. Um, also on Hulu, you caught and I did not. Uh, Maggie Moore's isn't that on Hulu as well? It it this, is. It is on Hulu. This is directed by John Slattery, which I was surprised to see uh, from Mad Men and Thirty Rock fame, uh, starring his former co-star John Hamm as well as Tina Fey from th- his Thirty Rock days, and Nick Muhammad from Ted Lasso. Which I was like, oh, I haven't seen him in anything else. Maybe I should check this out eventually. This is about a police chief uh, who investigates the bizarre murders of two women with the same name and unravels a web of small town lies. He meets and quickly falls in love for Rita, a nosy neighbor who is eager to help solve the mystery. What'd you think? I liked it. Again, this popped up on my home screen for Hulu. I, I love John Hamm. Maybe it's the Fargo effect that we're currently watching, yeah. you know, but I've always, I've always liked John Hamm. And this is another movie that's like an hour and 35 minutes. I'm a sucker for like small town pulpy murder mystery movies. Yeah. And this is exactly what it is. It's just a straightforward murder pulp kind of movie where John Hamm plays a straight up sheriff who does fall for uh, uh, Tina Fey's character. And John Hamm, no spoilers, is like a widower. So he has a hard time like putting himself out there and dating. So he reconnects. He connects with Tina Fey while trying to serve or solve these murders where one woman is murdered and she, her name is Maggie Moore and then another one shows up and her name is Maggie Moore. And as the movie unravels, you kind of get the connection. Right. It's just a quirky, small-time film um, that I just – I love these kind of movies. I'm a sucker for these movies. So it's a very entertaining watch, especially because John Hammond – and you get Nate from, like you said, from Ted Lasso, yep. who's – I haven't seen him in anything else but Ted Lasso. Nope. And he was good. He played like the not the dumb deputy, but he kind of played like the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just I guess unaware deputy is what I'll say. Like he just says stuff that's not politically correct. Sure, and he does all the wrong things. So yeah, the, between him and John Hamm, they played a good pair. So I liked it. It's a it's a good record. I gave it a thumbs up. Catch it on Hulu. Hour and a half. Um, you like it. Yeah, another Hulu one that uh, seemed to make the rounds, and I think you said you saw this, but you saw it a while ago. We didn't cover it on here, I don't think, was No One Will Save You. Correct. Yeah, this is directed by Brian Duffield, who um, I know the name because he, I think, wrote both scripts for the Babysitter movies on Netflix. Um, And uh, he's done a bunch of other things since, of course, but like, that's kind of where I first knew him. This is starring Caitlin Dever as an exiled, anxiety-ridden homebody who must battle an alien who found its way into her home. This is, again, a, a, um, well, it's two parts. One, shout out to, again, another movie that's basically like 100 minutes or less. More of them should exist. Thank you to, for doing streaming right, Hulu, I guess, uh, if we want to put that out there. Uh, also, this is a silent movie um they it this has no dialogue whatsoever you see kind of murmurs of maybe people talking uh behind her back when she's in public or maybe things in a distance but essentially she doesn't say a word 
through the entire thing. There's some musical cues. There's some alien little blah, 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 stuff going on, uh, <laughs> but nothing else there. Um, what did you think about this one before I put my vibes out there? No, like you said, it's been a while, so I kind of like forget certain parts of the movie. But I did like I do like her as an actress. She was in Justified first season, so that's where I know Book her smart. from. Uh, um, I thought she was great yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sorry, Booksmart yeah. too. But for a silent movie, I thought it worked. Um, it, it gives you some good tension. I liked a lot of the scenes in the movie. It's a very sneaky good film for like sci-fi. I won't call it a horror film. It's a sci-fi film. But I know the ending won't hit with a lot of people. Uh, and I don't, I'm not going to spoil yeah. it, but I was okay. I was okay with. I was it okay with it. I was I, a little confused. That's why this movie isn't going to yeah, be in like too. my top stuff of the year or whatever. I thought I, it was good, not right great. With it's definitely worth the thumbs up in the good section. But I, I did consider it in the mass section. So it's right on that line because I yeah, didn't I fully understand what was, you know, going on with the end. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. It kind of fell flat a little bit. Like you said, it was a little confusing. It, almost like a bad M. Shyamalan movie where you're expecting like this really... <laughs> like a profound you know, ending, ending or that, some twist. Yeah. yeah, it's no. Yeah, and it kind of just... Yeah, it's not that. But it's worth a watch. So th- those are my thoughts on this movie. It's a thumbs up for, for me. For sure. And then another film that I had you watch, uh, there's a couple of uh, Netflixy ones at the moment here, Blood and Gold. Uh, you just caught that one recently at my recommendation because that is my number five yes. in my top five of the year for Netflix originals. This is a film. I don't know if I mentioned this film on the podcast before. This is from the director of Blood Red Sky, Peter Thorworth. This is at the end of World War II. A German soldier is looking for his daughter while an SS troop is looking for a Jewish treasure uh, in this very small village town. Um, as I said to you, I was like, to me, it's like a neo-Western uh, in how it kind of ends up, and but it definitely has its roots in like kind of the the pulpier versions of that genre, like your Inglorious Bastards or Overlord or things of that nature. And it really has a lot of fun. And I thought for anyone who liked Sisu, which I thought was meh, this is the upgraded version to me of Sisu. What do you think? Yeah, it's better than Sisu. I'm glad you recommended this film. It um, it did remind me of like a film student who's studying Quentin Tarantino. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, but I'm mad bit, at it though. The kills, yeah. No, the, the kills are very cartoonish at times, kind of like Tarantino overdoes right. it. Uh, like very pulpy cartoonish, which I dig. I dig those kind totally. of movies. And you you summed it up right. It's like a neo-Western. And I like the characters. You said it picks up once they get to the village is where this movie really kicks yeah. off. So it it is it really surprised me how how much I like this film. And I told you it's like one of the better Netflix films. And I always feel like I'm disparaging Netflix when I put that disclaimer. Yeah, you and there. Chris always used to do that. Yeah, and I'd be like, mm, "Do you read my shit? You've been on my <laughs> podcast know. when that's all I used to cover, you sons of bitches." Yeah, but it's true. I mean, for a Netflix original, man, this is one of the best ones you'll see all year. Especially if you like that that genre of movie, right. it's not going to disappoint you at all. Like, I like the guy who played the private, who they try to, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they try to do yep. away with. Uh, I, I really liked him in this in this movie, man. Um, I thought it was it, it was a good film. Yeah. Uh, doesn't bore you, entertains you. And, uh, yeah, so this was a late. I think this is one of the last movies I watched. Yeah. Uh, before we hit 2024. So, yeah, I'm glad you uh, recommended this one for me. Yeah, also a very good uh, performance from Alexander Shear, who was also in Blood Red Sky, who I actually... I found kind of annoying in Blood Red Sky. 
And I think he uh, brought me back by being the villain here and doing a much better job. Um, so shout out to him, shout out to that movie, and shout out again to my article. So go read it. Um, <laughs> last couple for the good section here, uh, which, like I said, is the majority of what we're covering today. Um, Bank of Dave. This is not a Netflix original, but it is currently on Netflix, and that's where I watch it. This is directed by Chris Foggin, starring Rory Kinnear, Joel Fry, and Phoebe Denever of Bridgerton and Fair Play that just came out on Netflix this year. This is based on true life experiences of Dave Fishwick. Bank of Dave tells the story of how a working class Burnley man and self-made millionaire fought to set up a community bank. This is just a, like, you know what it reminded me of? It has the charm of like a full Monty without obviously the male nudity or whatever. Yeah, oh, I know. I'm sorry. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's the, it's a literally David and Goliath kind of story. It basically shows all the faults post um, uh, the recession, the 2008 crash, all that stuff, the banking crisis that we had uh, all over the globe, obviously not just in this country. This is uh, set in England and you know, it's really kind of, showing how things are done it's a little guy thing you know where even though this guy is owns like several uh i believe he's a van rental dealership uh in some regard think of it like you haulish but he owns multiples of those is very well off and he just starts lending money to people and then people start to trust him more and more and then they feel like he should become an actual bank because he helps out the people who the banks don't help. And then it kind of proves what, why the banks aren't as good as they should be and all this stuff. And they set up like these multiple court scenes and, and, you know, kind of showing the banks that they did everything wrong. And then of course, you know, in, in typical movie fashion, they have to do a fundraiser to last minute to try to get the bank approved <laughs> and all this other stuff. Uh, Awesome uh, Def Leppards involved, which is great. Oh, yeah, nice. it's very fun. Um, so this movie, uh, like I said, charm all day. I enjoyed myself. And again, not very long. A great true-ish story that uh, will will make you feel good. So check it out. Did they uh, did they do a car wash for the fundraising? They thing? didn't. Uh, a little more lavish oh, than that to get there. Okay. So right. you'll have to check it out. But yeah, <laughs> Bank of Dave, that's on Netflix right now. Uh, and then the last one, you know, because I'm a dad, Shane. You're a dad, too. Um, took my kids to go see Migration, which is the latest DreamWorks animated film. This is directed by Good for you, Benjamin buddy. Renner and Kylo Holmesy, uh, <laughs> starring uh, the voice work of Kumail Nanjiani, Elizabeth Banks, Danny DeVito, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and more. It's about a family of ducks who try to convince their overprotective father to go on the vacation of a lifetime. Essentially, go on migration down south it's a good it's a it's a family adventure movie it's you know if you if these weren't ducks and it wasn't animated and you just thought of like kind of like a family vacation movie you know going through and trying to just survive and go through a bunch that's exactly what it is and it's got again a lot of just it's charming it's it's simple but it's it's good it's good enough for me to say thumbs up, man. Especially as far as like some of these family movies that we have to slog through, which might end up a few of them in the mass section. But yeah, this one was probably one of the better ones. That when everybody who is a parent who asked me what I thought of it, I always say, yeah, I liked it. It's a good movie. So uh, I would figure I'd put it out here as well. So I think your kids are obviously a little bit 
older for that. Uh, you know, they've moved on to murdering people. So maybe ducks, you know, are less uh, convincing in this regard. But, uh, you know, maybe if they come out with a sequel that turns deadly, uh, you know, you can get your kids to go see it. <laughs> you think you're better than me? <laughs> no, I just think you're older than me. That's all, man. We're good. We're good. But you know who I might be better than? Uh, the only movie to enter our bad section, which you need to do your version of, because I covered it last week and I have my own review of it, is Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon. <laughs> this, of course, starring Sophia Boutella, Digimon Hansu, Mikhail Husman, Charlie Hunnam, and others. Uh, when a peaceful sell- settlement on the edge of a distant moon finds itself threatened by the armies of a tyrannical ruling force, a mysterious stranger living amongst its villagers becomes their best hope for survival. Shane, I already put out my uh, my bugaboos about this one in my two-star review uh, that came out on What's on Netflix. What say you about Rebel Moon? Oh, man. Um, it's I echo everything you said about this movie first of all this movie starts out so freaking slow i almost shut it off in the first half hour of this film when they're on the farming planet i'm like who gives a shit about this and then when ed screen and the 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 fucking uh rebel or whatever the 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 stormtroopers come out from the sky and they're space nazis yeah space nazis Mm -hmm. exactly right they're literally from the Uh, mother world come on yeah it, it doesn't get any better. The characters aren't fleshed out here. Too many slow-mo shots from Zack Snyder, which usually I Always. like, at least stylistically. Yeah. I don't mind his films. But, man, there's too many of them. And it, it, everything was just so derivative of other sci- better sci-fi movies. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you, like you said, to me, it was Star Wars. And uh, it was kind of Dune-ish yeah. at, at, at times. So go watch those movies. Yeah. It's also watch wildly this. exactly Kurosawa too. It is Seven Samurai. It is, you know, yeah. uh, like, because again, Lucas himself, when he made Star Wars, openly said he was basically taking uh, Seven Samurai, Hidden Fortress, and maybe shades of like Rashomon at times. Like those are the movies that exactly that he took for Star Wars. And Snyder was like, cool, I'll do that too. And that, yeah. Yeah. But just, just do it in a shitty. totally worse yeah. way. Yeah, do a shittier version. Shitty, obvious I just hack had a, version, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I had a laugh because Ed Screen, who plays one of the the head Nazi that comes out from the Motherland ship, and Michael Hoosman, who plays like the main farmer, yeah. uh, right? I laugh because if you're a Game of Thrones fan, Ed Screen, Ed Screen played Khaleesi's lover yep. boy, and who was replaced by, Hussman. by yep. yeah. yeah, and now they're in the same yeah. movie. Hilarious. So you get a kick out of, yeah, you get a kick out of that. And I love Charles uh, Charles Hunnam. Yeah, Charlie Hunnam. But, it, uh, but again, it, they they kind of uh, yeah, he's Han Solo, and then until he's not, and then yeah. Uh, so again, very obvious, and his and accent. In you, there, woo, yeah. Woo. And I had you in my head about the cantina scene in Star Wars, and you don't see him yeah. talking about in this yeah, movie. It's exact ripoff. When they go into the bar, it's exact. It's exact yeah. ripoff, especially because it's the so, meeting scene uh, that they do for Han Solo and Charlie Hunnam's character. It's the same yeah. thing. So any, yeah. So for all you Snyder fans out there, you guys need to get your freaking heads checked because there is no defending this slop fest of uh, of a movie. Which I I see some people coming out defending it and wait for part two. I don't want to wait for part two. I don't care about yeah, part I'm two. I'm so I'm so bummed that I'm gonna have to cover this. I think it comes out in April. 
It, we're like three months away. Jesus. So like, in case you're wondering, Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is 24%, and the audience is like 60 right now. The critics have this one right. It's I gave this one star. Yeah. One. One star. Yeah. So all you Zack Snyder, freaking whatever, fanboys and fangirls, come at me because this movie sucks. Yeah, it's going to be tough getting to uh, part two. And yeah, I thought I was being, especially because we do whole stars, uh, you know, folding feet to the fire. This could be a one and a half for me. But like the the thing is, right, because he's stealing from the best people that at least like there is some good stuff in there somewhere, but it's so few and far between and it's so stolen that you just go, why bother? What did we do? Why? Right. And I don't want to watch the four-hour director's cut. Apparently, he has this movie that says he'll change it because if you watch that one, it's rated R. No. I don't. I couldn't sit through four hours of this shit. I'm yeah. sorry. There's no way, especially because it's probably going to add to the character development that was absent in here, which oh. if if it's to get to the same point, then I wonder why I would do that. So that's that's really the issue. And I'm sick of that argument now of just watch the longer version. Well, then maybe you shouldn't have made you know, a movie, you should have made a miniseries and and done it differently to develop these things out if you want to keep making four-hour fucking movies. So, right. you know, everybody's going to get on you and me and whatever else for these things. But I think, like you said, the, the proof has come out where everybody's kind of kicking this thing. Even 60% for a Snyder movie that, like, where he has an army, like a legion of people who come to his defense and it's still only at 60, that's bad. That's real bad. Yeah, it's terrible. So pass. Yeah, but the good news, everybody, is that that's the only bad we have on our list, which is, is good. Uh, but there is a lot of kind of shrug, little meh, little whatever. Uh, the first one I'll let Shane defend a little bit more because he wanted to put this in the thumbs up, the good section. So I will say it's close, but it's kind of in that same ballpark as uh, no one will save you. But I thought that was a little more entertaining. The film I'm talking about is Anyone But You, which is the last movie of 2023 that I saw, uh, directed by Will Gluck, starring the extraordinarily hot couple Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell. Uh, after an amazing first date, B and Ben's fiery attraction turns ice cold until they find themselves unexpectedly reunited at a destination wedding in Australia. So they do what any two mature adults would do, pretend to be a couple. Now... I thought this was such a put on that it kind of took me out a little bit. Like the whole how to get them back together. Like it's one thing where it's like it's the sister of, you know, a person he knows. And then it's the, you know, the other sister of like a friend he knows. Like all that stuff, you know, is one thing. But then to also make them kind of trapped in a destination they can't get out of with also having both their exes also seemed like just a, a, f- a little far afield. But I was willing to be like, I'll jive. I'll run with it. And for the most part, they're they're honestly so hot and so good at time. Like, I thought it was worth watching to an extent, but it's mostly kind of eh. Because I thought tonally it didn't know what it wanted to be because it sells itself more as a rom-com with more calm, but it's actually way heavier rom, especially towards the end, that I think it just didn't have the tone all the way through that made me like 
care about it as a full film. How'd you feel about it? Yeah, I get it. Um, this is the only film we really disagreed on and not even by that much. Right. I gave it a thumbs up. So I gave it a pass. Uh, I like these two together on screen. That's why I think I gave it a pass. Um, because they, I think they do work really well as a pair. And I, I texted you, and I'm going to keep this PG as best I can. But Cindy <laughs> Sweeney is fire, she is. and she and she does a lot of things to my pants. Yeah. So, but them two together, I, and you're right. The only negative I would have to say about this movie is it didn't have the comedic punch that I wanted it to have. Right. It was definitely more rom, like 80 percent rom. Maybe 20% calm. You know what I mean? I don't have a standout scene where I kind of like just laughed out loud. There are a couple chuckle moments. The guy guy holding uh, his penis and making the penis jokes. That's pretty close. Yeah. And Gata, I liked him in this movie. I thought him and the whole dog thing was was pretty funny. Dermot Mulrooney as the dad, I thought, was really good in the scenes. I thought the parents worked well in this movie. It, to me, it's just very watchable, and it is paint-by-numbers romantic comedy. Um, but it's the Glenn Powell and Cindy Sweeney effect for me. You get two good-looking, really good-looking people that are together, and it's like, really? But I, you know who I felt bad for during this film? And I was like, man, they really shit on this guy? Is the fiancé they flew up to Australia yeah. to hook up. You didn't see him after a while. I was like, man, they flew this guy up <laughs> to Australia. Yeah. And he has, like, no shot. Yeah. And I was like, who would do that to this yeah, guy? I felt yeah. bad for that. I felt really bad for that character. At least the other one was Australian and she was there already. She lived right. there. You know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. So I gave this a pass. I had a good time with this movie. If it was on cable or, or it came to Netflix, I'd watch it again in a heartbeat. See, this is the thing. It's not making a ton of money right now. But because no. it's a Sony movie, it will end up on Netflix in its first window after PVOD or whatever. That's when people are going to go crazy for this movie. And I think if they time it right, they could probably get it for Valentine's Day and it will blow the fuck up. Oh, it'll be the number one movie on Netflix that week. Oh, yeah. yeah. Huge. Without a doubt. Huge. So that's ultimately where it's going to belong and that's where its life should go. It's fine. So like I said, we're in the mass section, so it's meh for me. Um, So next meh movie it's the end of the DCEU, Shane. Um, oh, this boy. is Aquaman okay. and the Lost Kingdom. Director James Wan coming back with Jason Momoa, Patrick Wilson, and now Black Manta, played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Um, in this movie, Black Manta seeks revenge on Aquaman for his father's death. Wielding the Black Trident's power, he becomes a formidable foe. To defend Atlantis, Aquaman forges an alliance with his imprisoned brother, they must protect the kingdom. Shane, I'll let you go at this one first. Yeah. What did you think of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom? Here, here's what I'll say about this movie, right? First of all, and I think I told you, Patrick Wilson, me stole this movie as Orm, as a straight-up, stand-up, straight-laced guy to Jason Momoa's crazy, yeah. sarcastic character. I thought he did a really good job in this totally. movie. I thought the movie was entertaining, and that's what I want. Plot-wise, you can see where this is going. I thought Black Man, again, by the end of the movie, was just a throwaway character. And they built this whole movie on top of him. I thought just kind of dissolved really quickly by the end of this yeah. movie. But it, I like the set, different set pieces uh, that Momoa and, and uh, Wilson were going to throughout this movie. It's a quick-paced movie. It was like two hours, which what is it should be, right? right. A two-hour quick movie. 
Hey, listen, you want Momoa? Hey, you want to ride a motorcycle around and do donuts in front of your son? Sure, go ahead and ride a motorcycle. Yeah. Like it got a little outlandish. And yes, I am a little. I am tired of his little yeah, whatever laugh he does <laughs> sure. or yell yeah. he does, which he did like four times during this movie. Uh-huh. I'm like, all right, I could do without that. Like, just do it once. Yeah. Amanda Heard was in this movie more than I thought, based on what I heard before this movie came yeah. out. Like, oh, they cut all her scenes right. out. No, she played some. It was, she was in some like big yeah, scenes she's in this up movie to the very end. Yeah, yeah, and I totally forgot Dolph Lundgren was in the first Aquaman, so I like seeing him. It just was a nice, entertaining action film, and that's all I want to be entertained. But it wasn't meh because of the story. I do like Momoa's Aquaman, and but I love Patrick Wilson Moore's Orm in this movie. It was fine. I didn't stay for the post credit scene because I heard it was just dumb as oh, hell. I didn't even know there was one. So, uh, yeah, there was. It had to do with the whole cockroach that he made Orm eat in the I jungle. See. They okay. kind of replayed that joke Got later, or whatever. Okay. And he pulls the whole "I am Aquaman," which you know, whatever. Yes, yeah, the, the Iron the Man movie, clear rip. It's yeah. the Iron Man yeah. thing, right? Yeah, care rip yeah. off. But it, it was fine, dude. It, it was okay. Yeah, I'm in the. St- it was better. It was. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was better than Shazam: Fury of the Gods. I'd rather watch this again, to be honest True. with you. True, especially because yeah, for how much I don't know, they both have villain problems, there's story problems, all that. But yeah, this one, you're right. the The best part is the Momoa and Patrick Wilson stuff, and weirdly enough, a lot of their scenes are out of water, so like yep. their best stuff. So it's weird that I would say that Aquaman's best stuff is out of the water, but it is. Um, I thought it had <laughs> shades of like kind of like '70s sci-fi or like action movies. Where it felt like almost Flash Gordony or Land of the Losty yep. uh, at times because it had like weird monsters that they're fighting and stuff. Where I thought that's where like it, it gets goofier, where it's fun, and that's when I was in. But the minute they try to do like the fantasy elements and the plot, my eyes glazed over. I just didn't care. Yep. It just like it tried to be, I don't know, Lord of the Ringsy or or even Thor Dark World. Like there's some like just dumb, you know. Uh, Obviously, it's like a frozen in time land from long ago. I, was, I don't care. I don't care. Um, Black Manta. Uh, I thought his uh, his outfit was cool. Uh, <laughs> him looking like uh, under underwater dead mouse. That DJ. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. Outside of that, whatever. I, and the and, and the black yeah. trident stuff, where it kind of like is this ping pong of like who has to overcome the evil juju i don't care um but yeah. like i said when it's ripping and roaring with those two guys and having fun i'm in but the rest of it, i yep. can give a crap I, and and things like yeah the amber heard thing didn't uh distract for me at all the fact i still laugh that like nicole kidman's thing in these in the series like you said like the whole adult thing like all these other people i was like why are you here just bail come on come <laughs> just be done with it um but yeah so, yeah, that's why this one's a meh. It has moments. It, it, it could have been worse, and it is possibly better than other DCU stuff from the year, but, yeah, not by much. And and for, for a movie that I basically had no interest in, the fact that I got something out of it is what it makes it a meh instead of a blech. Yeah. Um, Proud of you, Yeah, bro. thanks, man. Um, next movie is what was supposed to be a ho- more hopeful Oscar contender uh, is Michael Mann's Ferrari. Um, which is stars Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, yeah. and Shane Lee Woodley. Shout out to Aaron Rodgers. Um, the <laughs> so that's kind of like the love triangle ish type of thing in here. Um, 
This is a movie, obviously, about Enzo Ferrari, and I like that they did it in more of like a, a portion of his life. It wasn't like a full out like cr you know cradle of the grave biopic here. Um, it does put him at a, a very interesting situation in his life where he's kind of he's living after the the uh, death of his son, and he's also trying to. You know, he's in a predicament with his particular business where he has to win to really kind of put his business back on the map. And, and you know, otherwise he's going to go under. So he's kind of in this uh, interesting part of his life that they examine. And of course, he's also started a new family with a new son and uh, a mistress. Uh, however, it works. Uh, he uh, Did you see that Michael Mann did not want to put the label mistress on her? That because like he basically just started a whole new family, so he was like, "No, she's just the she's just the head of the household and the other family." He started yep. okay. Uh, most people would call that still a mistress, <laughs> but I understand because it's so many years and so many so involved. You like mistress undersells it, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but for a movie that starts out with Penelope Cruz basically shooting at Enzo Ferrari like within the first what 15, 20 minutes. Um, It'll yep. wake you up. So it definitely has some highs. The performances are quite good. Um, it's also an interesting movie when you're having a an American, a Spanish woman, and or sorry, so yeah, two non Italian American Americans playing Italians alongside a Spanish woman playing his Italian wife. Um, so it kind of you know it could have been uh, a disaster. Uh, but I think the performance are still good enough to to keep me engaged and enjoy it. In fact, I thought Driver and Cruz specifically were very good. And there's a, a the racing scenes in here are, are are pretty good too. There's a a tragedy that happens late in the film that will stick with me just from like a historical perspective that this actually happened. Um, yeah. Though you know some of the CGI in here might be a little make it throw you off a little bit. But when I saw that in, in real time watching the movie, I literally, uh, Oh, like it was, it caught me. Um, and it is crazy to watch, but, um, but this is where I thought the movie was a little unfocused. I just didn't fully care. I, I don't know. I, I just didn't feel as invested. And I don't know if I could put my finger on exactly why, but I, I just didn't feel like any person's, Especially in a post Ford versus Ferrari, I know they're not the same, same for same, obviously. But I really liked Ford versus Ferrari, and I thought it kind of maybe took some of the luster out of it. Where I'm like, because those racing scenes are really good, and a lot of it is more racing focused than than people focused. And this one, for being so people focused, there are scenes that I like and performances I like, but the movie itself I didn't fully grasp onto. Where'd you land with it? Uh, yeah, another biopic uh, that I thought the performances um, outpaced <laughs> the movie. Yeah, I thought the movie was okay, right? So I have a client who's really into racing, who like knows the backstory to all this crap, right? Like collects rally cars and all that shit. So at the end of the movie, I text him. I was like, man, it's not what you think it is. There's very little racing in this movie till you get to like the end of yeah. the movie, right? Where he has to save his yeah. company. So if you're looking for like a racing movie, this is not for you. This is not for yeah. you. It's a character movie, and I thought the disconnect I felt this movie, and this is the way I felt, I know you were trying to, like, describe it, it had no emotion in this movie for me. There was no emotion for me to, like, to latch on to 
because and I don't know if he was like this in real life, but Enzo Ferrari had no emotion ever at all. There was yeah. a scene at the beginning of the movie we had one of his racers go around a track and this tragedy happens and yeah. nothing. Yeah, he's on at to all. the next. See like, you on Monday. On yep. to the next driver, yeah. right? He's a Bill Belichick press um, conference of a human being. <laughs> yeah, pr- yeah. Yeah. And that's the way he was throughout the whole movie. So there's like no emotional punch to this movie at all. It's just a straightforward uh, him like struggling with the whole family uh, dynamic with his wife running this company, like doing the finances and the books because all he cared about was the racing aspect. Yeah. That's why he had to win the race. So I would have liked to see a little more of like they mentioned Ford, his meeting with Ford. And I know we did that in Ford versus Ferrari, but I would like to seen like maybe a shorter scene of that in there because he did try to save his company with the Ford aspect. For sure. And they mentioned when Fiat, I think it was Fiat yep. that came in there. It was like, if you need financial help, come see. I wanted to see a little more of that in this movie right. than the whole family aspect. Because I kind of was like, uh, Penelope Cruz was fire every time she was on the screen. Yeah. Like you said, she was like shooting, like she was shooting pistols. Yeah. And, you know, she was all over the place. I like the actress who played his mom too, the old lady. Yeah. So if you're looking for a racing movie or any insights on how he really saved this company and, and the story behind that, this is not a movie for you. But it was a watchable movie, and, and I did look it up because that tragedy you speak of at the end, I was like, holy shit. And I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it's exactly how it happened. I'm like, oh, my That's God. That's terrifying. And again, really no emotion no, <laughs> like, no, at all. No. And, and shout out to Patrick Dempsey, who's in this movie yeah. as well, who actually does uh, race uh, drive race cars. So, Oh, is that right? Okay, I was wondering the yeah, connection. And, okay, yeah, him and Jason Priestley are, are uh, race those style of cars. Interesting. They do open wheel indie oh, stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So it was cool to see him in this movie. For Michael Mann film, it's not your typical Michael Mann film. Uh, stylistically, you kind of see his touch on this film. Yeah, but, uh, stretches, yeah it's watchable. Do. Yeah, it's more reserved. It, 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 it for does. Him. Yeah, I, I wanted to give it a thumbs up, but it did lack for me to latch onto any character because I really didn't care about anyone in this movie at all. Uh, they try to make you care about that young Italian racer that comes in to take the seat of the other guy. The, yeah, but the they didn't they give enough like, screen time to care. No, no, they didn't. They tried, but they, they didn't, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, it was just okay. I was a little disappointed because, like you said, I heard Oscar buzz when this movie came out. I was like, oh, this could – no, yeah. this is not an Oscar movie at all. Maybe performance-wise, Penelope Cruz, maybe. Yeah. It, it was fine. Like you said, typical math yeah. movie. Also, in my in my diatribe earlier in the episode where I said we could do like a battle royale, this was going to go against Iron Claw, possibly too, as the wrong kid died section. Because <laughs> I, I almost turned into like Leonardo DiCaprio, that, that meme where he's like pointing at the screen. When the mother literally right. said, like, wrong kid died. And I was like, yeah, they, they oh, do yeah. cocks this shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, Shane, we're, we're in the nitty gritty here. We got three left. Uh, this is another history one uh, for the books. This is The Boys in the Boat. This is directed by George Clooney, starring Joel Edgerton, Colm Turner, Peter Guinness, and others here. This is... Uh, like I said, it's a it's a based on a true story of the 1930s set movie centered on the University of Washington's rowing team from their Depression era beginnings to winning gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. This movie, it's 
I, I think I, I don't know if I said this to you or somebody else, but I was like, I don't know what George Clooney's fascination is with old timey sports. I feel like the next one he's going to do is like a curling tournament or something from like the 1950s or something like he lit, he did Leatherheads, you know, where it's like he's doing old timey mm-hmm. football. He's now doing old timey rowing. Like, I don't know. He just ha- feels like a classic period. But I did I did have some, you know, I, I wanted to watch this movie because I was interested in the history of it. Same way kind of watching Ferrari, where I wanted to know a little more about Enzo Ferrari and his life and all those things, which is a lot of things I didn't know about in that even after seeing Ford versus Ferrari. And this movie I thought is good but simple um I, it's it's basically following um the the one main kind of boy character they try to flesh it out and try to give some other characters a little depth but not enough for sure but um Colm turner's character uh is the one that they try to flesh out the most joe uh, but you know it, it's it's only to ro- really put you in the time period essentially um because when it comes to rowing, everybody's supposed to be equal, you know, to make things work. And I thought I actually got a little bit of an education on how rowing actually works or crew actually works, uh, you know, an eight man boat race. But outside of that, it's really hard to make theatrical. Did you find that at all? Especially with like the races that were you like compelled about like, yeah, you know, like, oh, it's going to be close. Oh, like when they, the only time I felt a little bit of a jolt was when they were in the Olympics and they started uh, terribly out the gate because they couldn't hear the starting gun. That was it. Right. Like, otherwise, I was like, yeah, I know how this is going to go, you know, because it's historical record. So I don't know. It was one of those like cool uh, didn't, you know, overly bore me, but I could have probably written this without not really knowing the story. You kind of see where everything's going. It's it's a very standard basic sports film it's your yeah it's your standard sports cliche underdog movie you got these poor kids rowing against the rich kids with a coach who needs to win puts the underdogs in the shell and uh you know everything is paint by numbers i didn't care about joe at all uh there's not much like you said it's hard no it's hard to flesh out, like, give these characters any kind of depth, you know, to be honest with you, because there's an eight-man crew and, you know, it's you can't spend a lot of time with each character. But it lacked, again, it lacked those, um, for sports movies, it lacked, like, the fiery speech by the freaking coach. It yeah. lacked, like, the big training montage of these boys. I mean, we saw them in their bed rolling it. Like, who cares? Like, give me a training montage scene in a sports yeah. movie, right? That's what I want. I want like some damn karate kid or some Rocky training montage, <laughs> yeah. or even like Mighty Ducks had a better training montage in this movie because yeah. you know it's coming. The only reservation I had, I think, was like I know because you knew they were going to win. Like when they're in the Olympics, and it's they're literally like, the, the slow start. I'm like, okay, yeah. yeah, they'll pull away in the last hunt, and they did. They like they waited to last hunt. It was a photo finish. Was it a photo finish in real life? I doubt it. But for movie effects, they gave it a photo. By the finish, way, right. Have you ever had a photo finish where you're literally watching the photo be developed? No. Did we really <laughs> no. need that? Did we? Right. The only thing I was like, no, are we, we seeing that because we want to make sure that no one doctored the photo? Like, what is the point here? But I was like, good yeah, God, every detail. Jesus. Yeah, because I thought for a split second, because I didn't read the Wikipedia and how this finished, I thought maybe they're going to try to rob him because Hitler was in the crowd yeah. and 
obviously it was a pro Germany crowd and yeah. they put him in the worst lane because they're Americans and all this kind of stuff. They that I overcome. found fascinating. That actually kind of woke me up a little bit. Yeah. So like, you know, they had a lot to overcome, but they did and we knew it. Yeah. And it was, it's not a terrible movie. It seems like I'm beating this movie, but it's an okay, it's just an average sports movie, you know, that kind of lacks, again, it kind of lacked that punch. And I love Joel Edgerton. Ed, Edgerton. He's like one of my favorite actors going today. And he was just so monotone and unmotivating as the coach, I would say, in, in this movie. Like, ah, God. Like, I don't you know. know. who's It was okay. Know who's the person who kind of like gave me a rise every time uh, they're on screen? My girl, Courtney Hengler from uh, Cobra Kai as the wife. Oh, yeah. Every time she's on screen, yeah. she just pops. Especially, I don't know if it's because, again, every lead character in this movie is this unassuming, quiet, you know, dour person that she's the one with only some kind of zip. Her and uh, Hadley Robinson, yeah. the the girlfriend, like they basically just, I don't even know if these characters exist or if they're like this, but I they, they basically took the opportunity to make the women of this movie to be kind of the, the upbeat, like rah-rah, little more like energy of the movie. Uh, for, a, right. for a movie that doesn't have them in very much. Um, but, yeah, every time she was on screen, I was like, yeah, that's my girl from Cobra Kai right there. Yeah. Yeah. Big mom energy. But, Loved it. Yeah, exactly. But just an average movie, man. Clooney, just like you said, I don't want to see another film, sports film set before 1950 that you need to direct. Yeah. Man. Let's, let's get with yeah. it. And uh, not to end on like a lesser note, these are these were the ones that were probably the closest on the meh to uh, – being in bad probably but like they they were also it's the holidays so i'm being forgiving maybe and putting them in that instead uh we had the family switch and silent night and the christmas week uh ramping up uh movies that we have here the battle royale that i i will have to save for the end here of course <laughs> the family switch um, I don't even need to read the plot because you've heard the plot before, because if you ever watched Freaky Friday, Vice Versa, 13 going on 30, uh, what are the other ones they said? 17 again. 17 um, again. Yeah. yeah. They yep. literally shouted them all out and uh, they knew they were doing it versus Silent Night, which is another movie that I was like, we could, I could have put in the battle royale against No One Will Save You because it's like the silent movie versus the silent movie. Here's the thing about Silent Night. You didn't see this, right? Or you did? Silent Night, I did not yeah. see. Um, I can't fully recommend it. It's it's John Woo, so the action stuff will work enough. But when you have a silent character, and they really go out of their way to make the rest of this film silent, even more than No One Will Save You. You're familiar with the, the plot of this one as well? I could say it for the people, too. Yeah. So, like, basically... Um, in a drive-by shooting, this gang comes by and uh, a stray bullet kills the son of this uh, this man and he chases them down uh, and ends up getting shot in the throat and can't speak. So that's where you get your silent part of everything in the silent night. And he ends up, you know, slowly but surely building himself back up to take revenge against the gangs. And it just kind of like it does. It's so John Woo. It's so like over stylized and violent. And, you know, it almost it tries to do, uh, you know, the the last night when he actually finally goes against these guys, you get the kind of like lukewarm read redemption stuff, trying to go up the stairs and doing the close cut 
violent stuff. You know, he's like loaded. You know, he's like armed to the teeth and and going after all these guys, taking out a whole gang, even though he's just some dude. And they make it realistic in a sense of like, you know, he trained for it, and then when he when he screws up because he's just a a regular kind of Joe, like you know, it makes sense. You know, when he screws up, um, they try to build up another cop who is like supposed to help with the case kind of involve himself later doesn't really work especially uh it's hard to introduce characters if they don't speak so um they really took it too far that the that part (laughs) it's one thing to make him not talk but literally everybody including they have his wife only text him so that's why i was saying this movie is borderline bad but again the john woo action and some of the style stuff makes it just above that level but not by a whole lot. So if you want next holiday season to watch something violent to mix up when you're watching, you know, Christmas vacations and, and, you know, crying for the billionth time uh, for it's a wonderful life. Yeah. I'm projecting. Um, then you know, you could do, I guess worse than si- silent night is violent night. Probably better. It's different, but is it that much better? Probably not. It's probably only a little bit better. So, you know, choose your po- pick your poison with your violent Christmas experience. <laughs> um, but we both watched Family Switch, which, like I said, uh, just felt redundant. But because the family is kind of charming enough that I ended up getting wrapped up in it enough to call it meh. Is that where you landed or? Yeah, it's just the, the cast is so likable. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Garner's so damn likable in this, yeah, in she's this adorable. movie. Um, she's adorable, yeah. right? Ed Helms, I've always found them to be just okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's he's okay, right? Uh, and the kids. Like, I don't recognize the actors, Bra- uh, Brady Noon and Emma Myers. Yeah, the daughter I uh, thought I were, saw her in before. The boy, I definitely didn't. But I like both them, too, in, the, in this movie. But like you said, it's so paint-by-numbers. It, it's just ridiculous. But you know what? For a Christmassy kind of movie, and if you're tired of rewatching Freaky Friday, then this movie was not that bad, to be honest with you. Again, it's because it's Jennifer Garner. If it was, I think if it was any other kind of lead actress in this film, I may have not liked it as much. Right. But it's because the whole cast is so likable, and you like all their little subplots and you know the whole career thing. Like I liked when um, uh, Garner ate the ice cream and she farted in front of the conference room. I thought that. <laughs> sure. was- I probably laughed out loud the most at that yeah. part. Uh, but I did like uh, the, the kid. I like Brady Noon's character probably the most as Wyatt, as the kid who's trying to go to Yale mm. and he's shy and all this kind of stuff. I know it's it's an uplifting. It's a good family movie. So I'll lay it out. Know that. who my guy was? Who? Um, Mat- Matthias uh, Matisse uh, Schweighofer from uh, Army of Thieves. The guy who plays the uptight neighbor, yeah, who does the babysitting dog sitting, yeah, the dog and the baby, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like him. He's, he's I thought he was great. Like he just proved to me, like he could just literally do anything. Yeah. Now that whole swap between the baby and the dog, they kind of stretched that a little too thin. I'm like, I'm like, really? Okay, all right. Let's. It wasn't Rita Marino, the fortune teller. Was Mm -hmm. that her? Yeah. Okay. Good. Who's 92 by the way and looks fantastic for 92. I know. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so good, you know, decent family film to watch around Christmas. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, if if they need a poster thing, uh, my two Jewish kids watched it twice. That's all I'll say. Okay, <laughs> it's that 
charming that two Jewish kids <laughs> watched it twice. So, uh, good job for McGee making a comeback, I guess, <laughs> directing this movie. <laughs> da- good for you, yeah. McGee. <laughs> uh, and to answer your question, though, Emma Myers uh, was in Wednesday. That's what I remember. Recognize her from. Oh, yep. Okay, yeah. yep. Which again, yep. Netflix all around. So congratulations yep. for staying in the club uh, with that one. But yeah, so that'll do it, Shane. We made it through, baby. We did 18 Ooh, movies. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as we did. <laughs> um, we made it to the end of the year. Congratulations. We, like I said, both hit our numbers. Uh, and we have a lot of work to do narrowing it down, paring down our. Our top five movies oh, and top five films of the year uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks that we will be doing those episodes. Uh, anything else for the people? Anything else you're you're looking forward to? I know we have a lot and this is a long episode. So, yeah, I'll, I'll keep it brief. I'm really looking forward to The Beekeeper with uh, Jason yeah, Statham, which comes out January 11th. Yeah. I'll probably uh, my pants will be tight during that whole movie. Yep. Uh, but I am going to. Unfor- not unfortunately, but I am going to go see Night Swim this week. Yeah, I thought about it with with Wyatt. Yeah, yeah with Wyatt Russell. So I'm going to go check that out uh, Friday night. Yeah, I'm going to check out uh, Society of the Snow for my review for what's on Netflix. Uh, that is going to be in the best international feature race uh, for the Oscars. It's already on the uh, the short list that they announced. So it's it's in in the sights. I think it might get in for a nomination uh, for anyone who's uh, old enough to have seen the movie Alive. Back in the day, this is basically a re- the more Spanish-focused version of that, telling it from a different perspective, um, and I'm very interested to see what they do with that. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, we got our top fives coming up. Uh, do the right thing. Give us a, a shout-out to your friends. Tell, you know, Spread the word about our podcast. Give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get it. Um, and thanks so much for listening. Have a, Hope you had a happy new year. Uh, We're looking forward to bigger and better things coming up in 2024. So we'll see you next week on Recent Activity.